Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am excited that you're joining me today for an interview with Wendy Mack. And Wendy is the Managing Director for the Sales Talent Consulting Practice at Growth Play, where she leads the teams responsible for research, product development, and delivery. Wendy is an accomplished writer and speaker. Her publications include three books and numerous articles. She's combined 20 years of consulting experience with her unending curiosity to create value through content or on talent development, learning, leadership, communication, and change, all things that I love talking about as well. So I'm so excited. Wendy, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thank you, Andy. I'm thrilled to be here. I've been listening since I think your first podcast. No kidding. Oh, I'm so flattered. That's amazing. All right. So I have to ask, put you on the spot. Um, What has been your favorite interview that you've listened to on the podcast so far? One that sticks out for you? Probably my favorite is the one that you just posted with Christopher Lind talking about technology and learning and his experiences at GE. I loved his professional examples, but just also the personality and how he demonstrates his beliefs and his work. It was educational and inspiring. Oh, that's great. Christopher will be happy to hear that. He and I have become uh, fast friends recently, and he's one of the few people out there really talking about technology, learning technology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in an overwhelming world, Josh Burson talks a lot about yep. all the technology that HR and learning leaders have to deal with, but doesn't really give the solution. And I think Christopher is trying to help with that. He has a show that broadcasts every week on LinkedIn called Learning Tech Talks oh. that I highly recommend people ta- uh, look into as well. But we're going to be talking about assessments today and team effectiveness, things like that. But before we do, let's start with a little bit of your background and who you are and how you got to where you are today, Wendy. Gosh. Okay. I'll try to tell it quickly. I have been in learning and development my entire career. Mm. I went to grad school for organizational communication. And my first job out of grad school was working for Huffweight, which was a sales training firm and have stayed in that arena my entire career. So focusing on aspects of learning, leadership development, organization development, and have had the opportunity to run my own company, 
had the opportunity to work for some large training firms like Achieve Global and Wilson Learning, and have now been just thrilled to be with Growth Play, focusing on the sales side of development for the last four years. So while you said you've had all these different jobs, you've, you've, um, I'm sure you've had opportunities to work in big companies and consulting mm-hmm. and you've run your own company, kind of a plug, but why Growth Play? Yeah. What attracted you to take this job, this role? Yeah, growth play, well, a couple of things. What I love about applying what we know as talent development professionals to sales is that it's very tangible, right? One of the biggest struggles we have in learning and development is how do we demonstrate our ROI? In sales, that's not hard to do, right? We can measure, have we reduced the uh, the deal cycle? Have we decreased time to revenue? Are we getting bigger deals? And so I love the fact that it's the same principles that all of us have been trained in and you can see the results in a much shorter time. So that's why sales. And then Growth Play specifically, Growth Play is a women-led company, and we have a deep passion around selling as an act of service. And our belief is that I don't sell to you by manipulating you, I sell to you by serving you. And so we help sales professionals um, really step into their own, step into their skin and say, I'm proud to be in sales and I'm doing good for my customers. So it's just been a treat of a ride for the last four years. Oh, that's fantastic. And of course, I'm being in sales myself. I'm always interested in these things. And I heard from a friend long ago, the mantra of serve before you sell. And so I try to live that out. But one of my coaches, I have a sales coach who is a woman who told me that I'm serving too much and I need to ask for more. (laughs) There's always a balance. There is indeed. There is indeed. You're always helping people. You got to sell some stuff. I'm like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we'll try my best to do that. We can talk about that. <laughs> maybe we should. Yeah, maybe we should. Things are turning around. They're going pretty well so far. At the beginning of 2020, I have a few new clients in and a lot of great stuff coming. And I do a lot of things in talent development. You know, I run leadership development workshops. I run business simulations. I'm really big on helping people align mm-hmm. to strategy and all that sort of stuff. But I also talk to clients and get questions about assessments. I have clients who are dealing yeah. with you know, how do we measure what is going to be great performance? How do we measure the performance of the people we have in place? And I don't know as much about that area. And that's why I'm excited to have you on. So uh, let's start with kind of a global view of like what types of assessments are out there in the talent development world that, that people can and should be looking at. Yeah, it's a really great question, right? Because any assessment is simply a tool to use to gather information for some kind of objective. And I think in our field, we throw the term assessment out a lot. We might have internal clients who say, hey, we need an assessment. But if you think about it, there's all kinds of assessments. There's assessments to gauge performance. There's assessments for selection purposes, which is a lot of what I do. There's assessments to identify learning needs. Um, And so what really got me interested in this topic is I had a client who was relatively new to the field of L&D call and say, hey, we're thinking about an assessment and we're not sure if we should be using yours or a cultural assessment or the Myers-Briggs. And I thought, wow, those are vastly different things. They're used for vastly different purposes. And so um, I think the first place to start, of course, is what is the question I'm trying to answer? And then we can funnel down and get more specific into what kind of an assessment would we use for that. Our assessment that we have at Growth Play, the Chally assessment, happens to be specifically focused on how do I find the right people for the right sales roles? 
there are other assessments, like I know you have familiarity with BTS, right? A simulation is also an assessment. Interview is an assessment. And so I think getting really clear, I loved how Josh Burson said also on your podcast that we don't necessarily need to be stats experts in L&D, but mm-hmm. we have to know what problem we're trying to solve. Right. And we have to use tools to gather data to help us solve the problem. Ultimately, to me, that's what an assessment is, is a tool to help give us information that helps us then either work better together, like you said, team effectiveness, make better hires, focus our performance improvement efforts in the right area, or identify what learning people need. Yeah, so there's so many out there, and you're right, I am familiar with simulations, which can often act as assessments, and we've had Rich Daper on the podcast, who was at BTS for a long time, and also at Liberty Mutual and other big companies before that, who has used simulations throughout his career as assessments. How do we know which assessment to use, and is it Mm -hmm. different for sales versus other types of functions? Yeah, so if we focus in kind of specifically let's say we're going to put to the side performance assessment and we're going to focus on assessments to use as part of our interventions. So a lot of times where people are very attracted to things like personality assessments, and I truly believe that those can be useful for certain applications. So to try to make sense out of the world of assessments as it applies to L&D, I came up with a very simple framework. I think about it as strengths, style, and skill assessments. All are relevant for what we do, but they measure different things. So, for example, a growth play, our Chali assessment is similar perhaps to Hogan, which I believe you're certified in, is similar to others that identifies what are you naturally good at? What are your natural aptitudes, your natural strengths, right? That's a strengths assessment. A style assessment might be any of the myriad of reality tests out there, DISC, Myers-Briggs, the Berkman, right? And those can be very helpful because they help us understand how I like to communicate and how you like to communicate and how we can communicate well together or work well as a team together. And then skills assessment is more about how good am I now at what I need to do for my job? And I know it might sound simple, but to me, it's been so helpful as I talk to my clients to get at what are you trying to measure? Because one assessment isn't going to give you all of those things. So for example, we sell a strengths assessment and we believe in using that for hiring, for placement decisions, for self-awareness. And then we'll have clients who say, well, my stakeholder wants us to redo the assessment in two years to see if there were changes. There won't be changes, right? Because what we're measuring with any strengths assessment is our hardwiring, how we are naturally. So if I'm looking to use an assessment to gauge improvement in the learning, I'm going to be better off using some type of a skills assessment. So this is great. I haven't heard it explained this way. And there are so many different assessments to choose from. So if I'm thinking about we need to get better at hiring the right people who are going to be successful in a role, right? That's probably the if I had to guess the top reason people start looking at assessments, right? We're hiring. We don't want to waste time. We don't want to get the wrong people in. We want to find people that are going to be successful. We want people that are going to model the right values and behaviors. Which of these should we be thinking about? 
Yeah, so great question. And the number one thing I would encourage any of your listeners to do is focus on finding a predictive assessment if it's going to be used for hiring purposes. Because what a predictive assessment does is it helps you ask all the questions you just did and get the right people in the right roles when you don't know anything about them, right? We know for a fact that a lot of us can be good in an interview doesn't mean we're actually going to be good at the job. And a lot of times the decisions we make as hiring managers, we go on our gut, we might go on rapport. Again, doesn't tell me if a person's going to be good at a job. So what a good hiring assessment should do is help you predict specifically who's going to be successful in the job you're hiring for. And I'm stressing in the job you're hiring for because there's no one such thing as a good predictive assessment or a valid predictive assessment. You always have to look at what success, what particular job. So in what we do at GrowthPlay, for example, we know that there are 12 different fundamental types of sales roles. So what you said earlier about serving others, about being a giver, you're going to be very successful in what we call relationship sales, which is very different from new product field sales, which is very different from inbound inside sales, right? And so a really good assessment helps you not only say, is this assessment good, but is this assessment valid for the job I'm hiring for? Interesting. So looking at the job you're hiring for, what are the characteristics or keys to making it successful in choosing an assessment? You mentioned a predictive assessment. Kind of think about, okay, are you going to be a match for this? And I've done a couple of those. I'm trying to remember the one I did. I think it was the predictive index, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I did one from the predictive. I I still remember there's a blurb from, I was speaking at an ATD conference and I had somebody on who was there and she read my results and I said, what kind of job should I be thinking about in the future? And she said, well, you shouldn't because you won't ever be good working for anybody else. And I was like, oh, that's why I'm an entrepreneur. That's great. So I love that example. And if I could follow up on that, because I think there are two ways of using assessments. I do believe like you did, that there are certain aspects of who we are as people that are going to tell us, I need a job where I interact with people, right? I work from home, um, but I'm on the phone. I'm on video all day, every day. And if I don't have that, I will be depressed. Sounds like you might be feeling it, right? So one way we can use assessments is to understand ourselves understand the way we like to work, the way we prefer to interact with the world, what our values are, and then we can go out, we can own matching ourselves to the employment choices we make. And then the flip side of that is as an employer, using the right assessment to help me find the right person for the job. And the reason I think that I like you brought up that distinction is because the inside out, we could start with something that's more personality based. Right. We could start with whether it be a Myers-Briggs or a DISC. I believe all of those, I think, give us a different slice in understanding ourselves. Those help us make the inside out decisions. However, if I'm going to use an assessment as an employer to screen you in or out of potentially moving on to the next round, I shouldn't use any of those same assessments. Any of those style, any of those personality assessments are not valid for the purpose of, are you the right person for this job? And I can talk more about that here. You obviously have a lot of uh, knowledge and passion there on that subject, which is cool. Do you think that more, because I think it's interesting, I took that assessment, right? And there's a few people out yeah. there taking those and it's because one of my friends was really into it. Uh, yeah. Nick Elkins was who sent it to me. 
Do you think more people should be taking those individually before they're applying for jobs to try to figure out, okay, what is going to be the right type of job for me versus I know there's a lot of companies using these. What about individuals using them when they're getting into their job search? I think it's hugely helpful. I don't think it's ever going to give us the answer, but I think about each assessment I've taken in my life and the 20 or so that I'm certified in as being almost like an MRI and it gives me a little slice of understanding who I am. And so when I'm equipped with that self-knowledge, then I can ask better questions. Even though I, I kind of said, don't use style assessments for hiring, I developed a style assessment for us here at Growth Play. It simply says, what kind of a seller are you? And it's a super basic level, but we know that there's a big difference between people who are going to thrive on and love closing, quick sales cycle, big deal. Very different from what we call a wizard. I'm a wizard. A wizard is somebody who likes to jump up to a whiteboard and architect out a solution that's going to take three years to implement. Versus a builder, Um, one of my colleagues is just excellent. Once she has a client, she keeps that relationship forever. And her clients follow her from company to company. Versus what we call the expediter, which is somebody who's really good in fast-paced, high-pitched, often inbound call center type sales. And so we have a quick 10-question little self-assessment that helps people identify what kind of selling they prefer And then that can get them headed in the right direction. And then, of course, you want to dig into, do they have the natural aptitude for the job? Do they have the skills for the job? But I think that that kind of quick assessment is a good way to get started. So let's talk about using this in sales, because I'm thinking about this. And of course, Chally is right, the assessment that you use in the sales space. And full disclosure, GrowthPlay is a partner of ours at Advantage. And so... Yeah, right, right. So we we do work together and bring you in to clients, especially on the sales side. We're looking for this assessment help. Is the way Mm -hmm. to use this to start by thinking about what type of seller do I want? Or should I be thinking more about the skills or end result? Do I want a wizard, farmer or whatever? How how should sales managers be thinking about this when they go to hire someone? I love that question. I love what you just said. Should I start thinking about the kind of seller I want? Because we often do jump there, but what our research shows is that we actually want to step back a couple of notches and say, what are we selling to whom? Because as our product or our solutions go through the life cycle, that we're going to need different kinds of sellers. So stepping back and saying, am I a new product that people haven't heard from uh, before is then going to help me say, so I might need that closing salesperson versus my product has evolved and it's mature enough that it's going to require us to really get in and configure a complicated solution. So stepping back first and looking at the market is key. And I'm passionate about this, as you can probably tell, because we have so many clients who they they come and they say, we've got the job description, help us find these people. And we step back and ask some questions and we say, how do you know that's the right job description for where your market is, for how your buyers want to buy? I don't know. Or we'll see a lot of clients um, and, you know, no harm, no foul, but they'll call all salespeople the same thing. So they'll call everybody an account executive but they're selling to three different markets with three different products in different parts of the life cycle. So really we got to take that apart more and get into what you were saying. What are the fundamental activities of the seller to sell in this market to these buyers? And then what skills do they need to have or will they need to develop to be successful there? These are things I bet a lot of people are not thinking about, right? I mean, sales, time is money, and you're sitting there. I got to get somebody in this seat to get out there and start selling so I can get on with the other yeah. things I'm doing. 
but it sounds like it is a worthwhile investment to stop and thinking about what are we selling to whom and what are these behaviors that we want to see? And are there even different roles here that we should be defining? Not everybody is an account executive or an associate, but there are hunters and farmers and relationship managers and wizards or architects. And I know some, a lot of tech companies now, you know, they have the account executives. They also have sales engineers who come in and help in the process. You know, they realize the benefit of having technical people in there who are not your outgoing sales people, but they can speak to customers and also speak the language of the technology. Is that kind of the main idea behind that? That is perfectly said, Andy. You almost exactly recapped our framework that we have, which is on our website if anybody wants to check it out. But those are all selling roles and there are 12 fundamental different ways of selling. And chances are you're going to be naturally wired to excel in two or three of those. I'm going to be naturally wired to excel in two or three of those. And so our research shows that most people can sell if you open up the way you think about selling to the way you just described. The field is sales engineer, different than a solution architect, different than an account executive. And our research shows that very few people can be a top performer in more than one or two. It's fascinating. It's like a big puzzle, right? Helping companies get the right people and helping people get in the right jobs. It's interesting. You know, what I'm thinking of there is you said, you know, there's 12 different types of sellers Mm -hmm. and you said something like everybody can sell in their category. There are a lot of people out there and probably many people listening thinking, well, I'm not in sales. I can't sell. Sales is not something I do. Do you think that is true or do you think it's actually not true that people just need to discover what their style is? And I'm not saying everybody needs to go into sales, but Daniel Pink says to sell is is human, right? Right. And we're all selling ourselves all the time, no matter what we're doing. If you're in learning and development, talent development, and you're creating a new program or something, you've got to sell it to the executive sponsor, to the business. Right. Um, So sounds like it might be helpful to learn what your style is. I completely agree. And I was trying to remember, it's funny because to sell as human immediately came to mind and I was trying to remember the stat. And it's something like he says, isn't it eight in 10 people have sales as part of their job? Mm. It could be selling a product or selling a solution, or it could be like you said, selling ideas internally. And we know from LinkedIn that for the 2020 prediction of hot jobs in the next year, three of the top 20 are sales related jobs. It's a customer success manager and account executive at enterprise level sales in the tech space specifically and chief revenue officer. I do believe that we can all sell. I don't believe that everybody should be in a sales job, but I do believe that there are jobs that are help to reinforce the sales process. So I'll give you an example. We were chatting about my move to Colorado a little bit ago. And when I came, I wanted to get to Colorado and I had an opportunity with a great company with a big name, which I won't mention. And I took a sales job because I was convinced like this company's so great. I can't wait to get to Colorado. I know I can do this. Well, it turned out it was a very, you know, outbound, find new logos, drive new business sales job, which I am not wired to do. I am wired to get on the phone with somebody who has a need, who is interested and needs help figuring out how it's all going to work, right? And so I think having an awareness keeps helping us identify, okay, sales as a whole is a huge profession, but what's the slice of it that I might do well in and how do I make sure I end up in the right slice? Yeah, makes sense. So understanding that is so important. 
This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is brought to you by Advantage Performance Group. We help organizations develop great people. For more information about this podcast and Advantage Performance, you can go to advantageperformance.com slash hot seat. And now on to the show. Wendy, if there's, uh, I always ask guests about trends they're following. Yeah. Is there a trend you're following in talent development that we haven't talked about yet? Well, until I know just listening to a lot of your podcasts, a, a lot of your other speakers have talked about trends in terms of AI and individual learning. I do think when I look at it kind of through my current job and my current lens of the assessment world, I think something that's fascinating that we haven't figured out yet is what information can be gleaned from us by what's out there publicly available, right? So anybody will be able to watch this podcast. I don't know for how long, 20 years, 50 years. And so can they watch this and can they make a decision about what Andy be good for this job or not? We're, We're trying to figure that out. We're trying to figure out the ethical implications of that as well as the accuracy implications of that. So I think keeping an eye on that whole... Of course, you know, overused, but that AI world as it applies to selecting the right people from the start is going to be bigger and bigger. In addition to, as your other guests have talked about, how we develop people. Cool. Um, What's been your greatest accomplishment in your career so far? If you had asked me that a couple of years ago, I probably would have talked about the books I wrote or the articles I published. I'm going to get a little choked up, but I think it's people. When I look back at the, the team that I've gotten to work with for the last three years, I feel proud. I feel good for knowing that they are each more confident and competent on an individual level because of the work we did together. And everybody's working so well as a team. So I I, I don't know if it's because I had a big birthday or what, but I I really started thinking more. It's about that day-to-day impact that we have on other people that is my proudest accomplishment. Those big birthdays that make us reflect. What am I doing here on earth? What impact am I making? I've got a big one coming up pretty soon. What's been your biggest failure or mistake that you've made? Wow. Mistakes. I don't know if we have time to list all of those. Um, Mm -hmm. I would think it was funny because I did listen to Rich's podcast with you and he talked about taking the wrong job. So I've had that happen for sure. The glamour of the name. I want to think back all the way as a new talent development professional, right out of grad school. I was probably in 24, 25, and I and my firm were hired like three years ago. Uh, yeah, right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was hired to develop a basic training for a tech company on how to give coaching feedback. I, I spent a lot of time designing the course, making sure the course would be interactive, the materials would be great. And I came in and they tacked this little training module on the end of four and a half days of other training the managers had been through. And it was Friday afternoon, literally from like one to four, one to five, four and a half days of other training, which by the way, was very much about changing how managers manage and going from being an entrepreneurial company to being a more more managed company. So net-net as I came in to a group of exhausted learners who were kind of tired and not really happy with what they'd heard for the first four and a half days, I come in all bubbly thinking, hey, isn't this fun? We're going to learn how to coach and give feedback. And it was an abject failure. I mean, people were yelling. They were saying what a waste of their time it was. There were arms folded, heads down, people leaving. And so I was very upset. 
I picked the wrong profession. And long story short, as I ended up working with that client for another 10 years after I started my own company, and I still would run into people. To this day, I will run into people in Northern Virginia who will say, I was in that class. Remember what a disaster that was? And I, I just want to put my head in the sand. And But every one of them says, you know, but I really appreciated how you handled it. And so again, yeah, it was more, it wasn't the content. It wasn't, did it sink in? It was, you know, how were we with each other as human beings in the moment that people remember 20 years later? Right. Like the Maya Angelou quote, right? People won't remember what you said, but they remember how you made them feel. Right. Um, but it did feel like a huge failure. And I almost quit learning yeah. development at that time. <laughs> Great lesson. No training tacked on Friday afternoon, especially when you're making oh, people God. do role plays and stuff. On uh, yeah. yeah. As a, an experienced facilitator, I could definitely tell you that. But early in my career, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Let's do this. I'm sure that's what they want. Wendy, what is a book that you often recommend or has made a big impact on you? Or, or maybe some, a book that can help our listeners with these learning more about assessments? Yeah, I would say if people are interested in assessments specifically or in using data to make better talent decisions, cannot recommend more Dr. Tomas Chamaro Pramuzak. That's a hard name. You know him from Hogan, right? He was at Hogan. I can't remember if he was one of the founders. He's now the chief talent scientist at Manpower, and he writes all the time in Harvard Business Review. He has a book called The Talent Delusion that is phenomenal. I didn't really know too much about this space before I started in this filler role. And I, I swear it's my Bible. I, my, my mind's all marked up in tabs and pages about how to use data to make better decisions about how we find, select, develop, and retain employees. So I think it should be really almost required reading for anybody in the talent world. I like that. I don't know if we've had that book recommended on here before. So I definitely take note all right. So for anybody listening in talent development or HR who's looking for a way to accelerate their career or be more successful, what's one more piece of advice you would give? Probably everybody has said it, but reading, 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 reading. My very first job when I got out of grad school, I went to work for Huthwaite. I remember I worked for somebody who was probably about my age now. And he said, number one thing you should need to do is get Harvard Business Review. So I have been subscriber to Harvard Business Review for 20 some years and just stay, keeping up, staying current, listening to podcasts, going to conferences like the one you're having next week. I think we are counted on to help other people learn and being ahead and constantly being learners ourselves has served me well. So I can't imagine it wouldn't serve others well. I love that. I consider myself to be a constant and continuous learner, always reading, listening to podcasts, yeah. that sort of thing, like you said. And I try to make time for reading every morning. I read about 25 oh. books a year and and it's been so helpful for that. And then I go to a lot of conferences, like you said, I invest a lot of my money and time doing that. And I love connecting with people and learning. And that's why I'm hosting my own conference with my friend Bennett Phillips, the Talent Development Think Tank, which by the time this airs will have passed, uh, but there will be another one. So make sure you check it out. Head to our website, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. Wendy, for anybody who wants to get in touch with you or find out more about Growth Play and the assessments that we talked about, where's the best place for them to go? Probably LinkedIn is the very first place I would come. I've got a lot of articles that I've posted about the assessment world on LinkedIn. Anybody I connect with and accept connections with anybody. So that's a good place to start. And also you can reach out to me at wmac at growthplay.com directly. 
Got it. And as I mentioned uh, earlier, GrowthPlay is a partner with Advantage, our sponsor. Mm -hmm. And of course, with B being affiliated with Advantage, I'm a, uh, I guess, a distributor representative, if you will, for GrowthPlay and the Chally assessment. So if anybody's listening thinking, I'd really like to talk about getting those into my organization, reach out to me. Hit me up on LinkedIn or send me an email. I'd be happy to set up a conversation with Wendy. This is either way, connect with Wendy. This has been a fascinating conversation for me, learning more about the assessment world and the different types of assessments and the way that people can engage with those and how you can find the best people, especially in sales. So thanks again, Wendy, for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom experience today on the Talent Development Hot Seat. Very much appreciate the opportunity, Andy. I'll hope to talk again soon. Okay, take care. Thanks, bye-bye. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am always grateful for everyone who tunes in, who listens, who subscribes, and who have left reviews for our podcast on iTunes. By the way, if you haven't done that yet, it would mean the world to me. Head on over to iTunes, take one minute, write a quick review. It helps our podcast grow, and I really appreciate your support. As my gift to you, I have created a report of the top five trends impacting talent development this year. And if you haven't grabbed that report yet, you can head on over to advantageperformance.com slash trends. That's advantageperformance.com slash trends. You can download my report of the top five trends impacting talent development in 2019, as well as sign up for our newsletter to get updates on everything that is going on. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible, and we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.